Good morning, or afternoon, or evening, whichever it may be for you. I hope it is good. Hey guys, this is a Construction Monk podcast. I'm your host, Jay Randall Ori, and we are in the middle of a series called Jesus, Don't Take the Wheel, about the sovereignty of God balanced by human agency or human will, right? And we've talked about, is our will free? And we've been kind of reflecting on scripture and these three books by St. Augustine written in the fourth century, right? We've been kind of playing off of both because Augustine really was the first Christian thinker to kind of propose this idea that we have free will and that, you know, it's not fair for God to punish us if we don't. And scripture seems to say that God will punish us if we don't get it right. But we've talked about all that, right? How our real will really isn't free and wasn't created to be free. And the problem is that we freed our will from God and then it wasn't free. And today we're going to talk about freedom. Cool, huh? The freedom we get, right? Last time we talked about the punishment we deserve and why, and that it's not God punishing us. It's really us punishing ourselves. But now we're going to talk about the freedom. Oh, this is really good, guys. I'm excited. Hey, um, Thanks for joining me. Let's go ahead and get into the episode. So this is going to be fun. I have a couple different things. We're going to sit centrally or mainly in the text of Romans chapter 8. That's where a lot of what we'll be kind of dealing with as far as scripture. We're going to look a little bit back at Augustine's. I think we started to get into the second book and we'll, we'll delve more into his second book, some of the thoughts he's de- dealing with there. And then I have a poem and a song, a pop song, where we've been, we've been like jiving Christian theology out of pop songs. And today we're going we're gonna to do Pink, her song, Just Give Me a Reason, Just a Little Bit's Enough, Just a Second When I Broken, Just Bend, And We Can Learn to Love Again. Uh-huh. Okay, that was terrible. I I morphed into that talking to singing and my key was shifting. Forgive me, my friends. My voice is still warming up. It's morning. I'm in the woods. I hope you can hear the crickets, birds. It's lovely. It's green. <laughs> I live in East, East Tennessee, which is even more lovely because of the mountains. But um, let's look at that song by Pink. And remember, we're talking about the balance between human will and and God's will, right? And how those interplay. And you know, I mean, we're going to talk about freedom, right? I mean, like, Scripture says if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. But like, here's the thing. Even in that one verse, if the Son, Jesus, sets you free, you'll really be free. But what does that mean? It means that you're not free to begin with. Ooh, so we don't have free will or a will that's freed enough to choose God? No, we don't. And that's what we've been talking about. And that's, I think that was the error that Augustine fell into. Well, really, he really said it's not fair for God to punish us if we don't have free will. So therefore, we must have free will because it's obvious that God's going to punish us. And remember, I talked about spiral dynamics and how, you know, this idea that human consciousness evolves. And I think that's a pretty true statement. I think we can see that. And that at the time, Augustine lived in an era where there were Roman emperors And his idea really fit well even in the Middle Ages because then there were kings who really were very similar to Roman, the Roman emperor who had this control. And so it was like, yeah, God's like the Roman emperor, the king. And so that makes sense. And so, of course, God's going to punish us. But we talked about that last time, how no, God doesn't actually punish us. Like when scripture talks about God's wrath and God punishing us, 
Well, it was actually a positive thing, which was kind of surprising. But the other thing is like, this, this is just language to describe things that happen. And God sets the world up in such a way that you could say, in a sense, God's punishing us. But what is, what's actually happening is just the con- natural consequences of bad actions. You know, there's this, this, it's a language thing, right? We could say God's punishing us, but what's really happening is God has set the world up to work in a certain way. And when we don't live according to God's principles, we are going to be punished. And so in a way, it's God... It is God's punishment because it is God's world, but it's really us, the the real catalyst in destructive consequences is, is our destructive behavior. And so no, God really doesn't punish us, and he has no desire to punish us. And scripture is really clear that God does not do evil, right? And this is kind of an interesting aspect of freedom. Even God is limited, right? What? No, God's sovereign. God is omniscient omniscient, omnipotent, all-powerful, right? He knows everything, sees everything, can do anything, right? Nope. What? God even limits himself. Sometimes he limits himself purposely, purposefully, even though he doesn't need to. But God is limited in a way, right? He does not, he's not going to do evil. By his very character, God is good, and God will not do anything that is not good, right? And so, like, even God has freedom within boundaries, and that's... That's key to understanding the freedom we get. It's not freedom from God. Ooh, isn't that what Satan offered? Freedom from God? Yes. Satan said, you want to really be free? Be free of God. And and then you'll really be free. And what happened? Adam and Eve, they took that. They took a bite of that truth. And then they fell into slavery. Dang it. They actually got the opposite of freedom by be, by freeing their will from God to operate independent of God. And so the opposite is true. As we become enslaved to God, then we come back into our true freedom. Woo! <laughs> I'm jamming this morning. I love this topic. Let's jump to Pink and see what she has to say about freedom. And then we'll, um, maybe we'll get to William Butler Yeats. That's the poem. It's called The Lake. Uh, I can't remember the name of it. Darn it. All right. You made me do it. The Lake Isle of Innisfree. That's the poem. And then we'll... I'm starting with pink. Just like the day started with pink skies because the sun rose up. Hey, (laughs) making crazy connections this morning. All right. Just give me a reason. Right from the start, you were a thief. You stole my heart. And I, your willing victim... I let you see the parts of me that weren't all that pretty. And with every touch, you fix them. That's pretty cool. I like that. It's about the vulnerability of relationship, right? It's funny. She's like, you were, you stole my heart like a thief, but I let you. <laughs> There's an interplay of will right there. Like love requires the vulnerability of surrendering ourselves to others. I think that's cool. And then the main chorus, you know, there's not a lot of, of deep thoughts I'm going to glean from this, but here's the chorus. Just give me a reason. Just a little bit's enough. Just a second. We're not broken. Just bent. And we can learn to love again. It's in the stars. It's been written in the scars on our hearts. We're not broken. Just bent. And we can learn to love again. Like, what is freedom? Freedom isn't the ability to be free from all restraints. I think freedom, ultimately, in God's view, is the freedom to love and be loved. Hmm. I really liked this song. It was, I think it was Song of the Year when it was released. It was, I believe it got Song of the Year. It was like a really cool song because it's talking about 
Ooh, it's talking about the difficulty that we're in in relationships, right? The difficulty to love and the struggle and the strain. And it's like, oh, wait, we're not, we're, we're not broken, but we're bent. But we can learn to love again. Like, <clears throat> there's a wrestle. <clears throat> What's the wrestle when it comes to love? We desperately want to be loved and known for who we are, despite all our brokenness, our waywardness. And yet we're afraid, right? We're afraid to be open in order to be loved. But if we're not open, we won't be loved. It's the struggle. We're struggling towards freedom, towards loving, coming back to God, love, God's forgiveness, God's grace, God's acceptance, right? We're still bound. It's not instantaneous, right? Like, we get to love by fits and starts. We struggle along the way. We're broken, but we can learn to love again. Cool. Freedom awaits us, right? Like, we're struggling through all these things because we're not free. And God offers us freedom and through Jesus. And we're like, yes, if the sun sets you free, you'll be free indeed. But it's like we come to Jesus and it takes time. It takes a dance of surrender. It takes what? We're surrendering to God. Seems easy, right? <laughs> no, we have a lot of hang-ups. It's not easy to get to true freedom. What is true freedom? That's what we're going to talk about in Romans. But right now, Let's look at William Butler Yeats. This is a pretty cool. Um, you know, but it's, it's interesting. Okay, so I'll just before I jump into this poem. Like, what is this whole Christian thing about? What are we being freed from? What are we being freed to? It's all about relationship and love, as Pink points out. But like, sometimes in our Christianity, we think, oh, freedom's about learning the right truths and dealing with our sin and getting, getting past our sin. Well, that's not untrue. But it's just a small part. Like the truest sense of freedom in terms of God is just the freedom to be loved completely and freely, to be freed up in the love of God, in relationship with God. And again, so that means our will isn't freed from God. Our will is only free in God. As we are bound again to God, and then we have this complete, all-encompassing, perfect love. And Scripture says, there is no fear in love because perfect love casts out all fear. And I would, I would propose that the opposite is also true. When we were separated from God, we fell into fear and even fear in our love, fear to be loved. We come back to God. <clears throat> but it's about relationship. It's not about truth. And I'm going to revisit this quote by... I'm all over the place today. <laughs> Did I, have I ever told you guys I'm 80? <laughs> I'm an ADHD kid. <laughs> Woo! Anyway... <clears throat> Remember Rabindranath Tagore? He's actually a Bengali poet. He's a polymath. We're going to talk about that in a minute. <clears throat> but he had this quote, and I read it a couple of podcasts ago as a part of this series. A mind all logic is like a knife all blade. It makes the hand bleed that uses it. Right? What we're entering into when it, concerning freedom is more about a loving relationship with God and the restoration of that relationship, not the restoration of truth. It's not, we're not coming to understand things differently. There's, there's an understanding in terms of relationship that we are truly loved and we can be free within that love. We're not free or freed within a set of truths, logical truths. Remember Augustine? We, I talked about he's a philosopher. He blended Christian truth and Greek logic and it started us down this path. And that's what a polymath is. A polymath is the same thing as a Renaissance man and it came out of the Enlightenment, which was the height and the full culmination of rationalism, 
which was we can think our way out of things. We can logic our way. It's right thinking and right truth that sets us free. And what scripture, when it talks about truth, ooh, it talks about truth in terms of a person. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way. The Holy Spirit says, I am the spirit of truth and the spirit of unity. Jesus said, it's really important when I leave, I'm the truth, but when I leave, I'm going to send you the helper, the paraclete, the spirit of truth who will guide you into all truth as it says, I believe in Isaiah. It talks about the spirit being a voice behind us in the way saying, this is the way you should walk. Now walk in it. It's like, woo, freedom in terms of God is the freedom to be loved and to enter back into a relationship with God where what our will is now subservient to God's will and our will is now freed in God, not freed from God. This was what God, this was what lost us our freedom was the idea that we could be free from God. That was a lie. Satan said you will be free. You'll be the most free when you're freed from this oppressive, you know, ty- tyrannical dictatorial God who just wants to tell you what to do all the time and you you'd be better if you told yourself what to do. Oh, that caused us to fall into slavery. And now we're enslaved and we can't get free. We need God to free us. How he frees us and what he frees us to is himself, relationship, love. <laughs> Let's look at this um, poem. Uh, I, I might wander back to what a polymath is because Rabindranath Tagore was a polymath. He was a Bengali poet. He was actually he received a Nobel Prize for literature. Um, interesting. So I'll try to get back to a polymath. And how that's like a renaissance man and what that has to do with freedom. <laughs> Let's look at Willie. My good, my good man, William Butler Yeats. He published this poem first in 1888. Or he wrote it, sorry, he wrote it in 1888. It was published in the National Observer in 1890. He was, um, I think he might have been an Enlightenment poet. He was definitely a nature poet. And so an enlightenment poet and a nature poet, they, they really tried to get back to nature and derive from nature this true deep meaning of life. Listen to this poem. The Lake Innes, or sorry, the Lake Isle of Innes Free. I will arise and go now and go to Innes Free. A small cabin built there of clay and wattles made. Nine bean rows will I have there, a hive for the honeybee, and live alone in the bee-loud glade. And I shall have some peace there. For peace comes dropping slow, dropping from the veils of the morning to where the crickets sing. There midnight's all a glimmer and noon a purple glow, and evening full of the linnet's wings. I will arise and go now, for always night and day I hear lake water lapping with low sounds by the shore. I will stand on the roadway or on the pavement's gray. I hear it in the deep heart's core. Doesn't that just draw you? Doesn't that just make you want to go into nature? And just like sit like in a hammock strung between some trees or just walking down a trail or just sitting by a lakeside and just like, mm, you know what's cool about nature? What I love about nature is it's just God. It's all God. Like when I get into nature, it's like there's nothing of man except maybe the trail, <laughs> the foot tread trail made by men's feet or animals. But like it's just, I just see God everywhere. I love it. It reminds me of God's original creation and God's original heart and design for us. It's just a beautiful thing to be in nature. And like it just paints this simple picture. And what does he say in the, there's three stanzas. 
probably couldn't tell that the way I read it, but there's three stanzas. The second stanza, he says, I shall have some peace there. For peace comes dropping slow, dropping from the veils of the morning to where the crickets sing. There midnight's all a glimmer and noon a purple glow. Man, it's just beautiful. He talks about the linnet's wings. That's a, I think that's a finch. It's a finch with brown and red kind of markings and it's kind of tan brown and red. Linnet is another word for finch. It's a smaller bird. Cool though. He's like just talking about, hey, man. He's like, so this is cool because the poem, he wrote this poem. He had the first idea of this poem. He he grew up near Innisfree. Innisfree was an, is an unpopulated island in Ireland. Ooh, trying not to get tongue twisted there. And so he was in the city as a as a young adult, and he heard this fountain in, from a shop, and he was instantly reminded of the lapping water of the lake where he used to to go as a child, as a boy near in his free and so it just brought him back and he was just like he was contrasting this smog ridden dirty city street with this clean free nature of Innis free right <laughs> it's funny the, the the island's called Innis free and we're talking about freedom and and here yates is like having this moment of nostalgia where he's like oh i remember what it was like to be in nature and here i am in the city we remember with the the series i did called um, sojourning about the city tower versus the garden mountain. Isn't that cool? Like, man, there is this paradigm of freedom that God has created. And nature is just a good way to kind of get into a mind frame to surround us by things that help draw us into that. It's not, it's not a place. It's a person. It's, it's God, right? Freedom is God. And freedom is returning to life with God. So nature is just a really good way to kind of cleanse our, our mind, heart, body, soul, spirit to remind us who we are and who God is. And so Yeats really plays off this idea and he's like there's this longing like man oh I really I remember those simple times I was a child everything was taken care of and I just roamed nature and I was in the woods and like there's a deep deep longing in all of us just to be a child again innocent free not encumbered by all the weight of modern life and bills to pay and and responsibilities and all those things aren't necessarily bad and God isn't like anti-responsibility and anti-city in in a way he's not anti-community right cities in a good sense can represent community but but there is this thing we've lost and trying to be free and make our own way in the world well we've lost our true identity as children of a heavenly father who has everything for us but we don't often see it. Why? Because we're enslaved to this idea, two ideas, to the idea that we're alone. We have to make it alone. I just really like William Butler Yeats' musings in this poem about nature, freedom, childlike innocence, and wonder. Mm, beautiful, huh? All right, let's get to Romans chapter 8. I had three different passages looked up, but man... Am I going to get to, am I going to get to um, book two of Augustine? Yeah, okay, sure. So, in book two, Evadias, who is this character, is a real friend of Augustine's, but Augustine uses him also as a character in this book to kind of create a conversation between himself and and another person. So, Evadias objects to human will in book two and says, like, God just shouldn't have given us free will. 
and and Augustine says, well, wait a minute. Every like I talked about, everything from God is good. It's good that God gave us a will. But again, well, as we've talked about, like God did give us a will and a freedom, but it wasn't to, meant to be operated independent of Him. And so, like, what's our idea of freedom, right? But here, I think Augustine really is already wrapped up in an idea that. Our will can be free, independent of God. And that independently from God, we can use our will to come back to God. Or it is free enough to choose God again. And so, like, what he's getting into is these ideas uh, that Scripture presents of predestination and free will. Or or free, I, I prefer the term free choice. Like, Scripture does present the idea that we do have choice and there are choices we must make and we must choose to follow Jesus. There are many commands in Scripture, New Testament, Old Testament. Right? God always offers to humanity the opportunity to be in relationship, but never forces, and that's important. And in that sense, our will is free to choose. Or we have free choice. And that's, a, that's paramount because we were made like God. But like I said in, in the beginning of this podcast, God is not without limitation. And so the idea that freedom is the absence of limitation is actually not true. That The real idea of freedom is that we are free within limitation. As God is free within limitation, God is completely free to do whatever he wants within the bounds of his character, which is perfectly good, loving. But he will not do anything outside that character. Could he? I don't know. <laughs> Dang. <laughs> I just think God can't be anything but who he is. And so for us, freedom isn't like the lack of limitation. It's actually becoming more limited because that's what makes us free. We're free within the bounds of limitation. And the limitation is God's will surrounding our will. And so as Scripture puts forth these two ideas, you, we have the ability to choose, but there's also this idea of predestination. And so you have these two Christian camps. There's the, the more Calvinist camp, which is about predestination, which means there's nothing you can do, absolutely nothing. God has to do it all and bring you back to himself. And then there's Arminianism, which is like, no, no, no. God does not force, and God, does not, God has given us free will based on, like they're jiving off of Augustine's idea of free will. Like it's, we have to choose. Well, here's an idea. See, because both those camps are separate. They're like, no, it's this, and no, it's that. There's this dualism. But here's an idea. Maybe it's both. And I propose that it is both. Before we come to God, we are so enslaved to a system that we cannot come back to God on our own. God draws us and brings us back. And like he does everything to put in front of us this path. Still, we do choose. But we're not that free to choose. And so there's, there's like there's things God must do to help even convince us to choose it. But like the more we come back to God, actually the more free we are to choose what is good. And so it's like, this has been my journey. It's really interesting because God has had to really crucify my fleshly will to bring me back to him in a very severe way that didn't at all feel like a choice. Like God had to really bring suffering and discipline. Remember we talked about discipline. God really had to discipline me severely to teach me that operating in my own will independent of him is destructive and it's killing me. And But he had to really wake me up to that over a six-year period through suffering, where I was like, I'm suffering, I don't know why I'm suffering, and then the Spirit's like, hey, do you realize you're suffering because you're making these choices, 
And I'm like, oh, I need to make better choices. And the Spirit's like, no, actually, you're making those bad choices because you're trying to do it on your own and you need me. And so it was this process of suffering towards surrender. But the cool thing is once I've become more surrendered to God and as I've become more surrendered to God, I've become more free. And then there is this beautiful um, <clears throat> enmeshing of God's will in mine. As I get into more of a place where I'm like, God, I'm only going to do what you want. And God's like, okay, that's great. But now, guess what? Now you have more agency to do what you want. And I'm like, yeah, but I only want to do what you want. And God's like, I know that's why you're more free. And it's like, you know what I want and you're, you're only listening to me, but now you're just free to, to, to move, to choose because you're not trying to do what you want anymore. You've been freed from your own will, independent of me, and now your will is so, is becoming much more enmeshed with mine. There is this way we walk in concert with God and his will. Our will subservient to his where we're like, I am no longer in this game of doing what I want. I'm more free from the oppression of my will independent from God. So I'm now walking with God, but I'm more free now. And God's like, man, I don't want to suppress you, oppress you. I don't want to lead you through suffering. That's hard. Like, that wasn't good. It wasn't my desire. I don't want you to suffer, but I've used suffering to, to reduce your suffering. I've used suffering to set you free. That's how we get to freedom, right? Through discipline, pruning, punishment, actually, the scripture says, so it's like, but God's like, now I'm going to start to teach you how to just follow me. And you're more free to do that. And you're more freed in your will, subservient to me to do what I, what you know is good because you're learning. You're actually becoming mature. A mature spiritual person only wants to do what God wills. And God begins to set them free to do that. And now it's like the, the ways that God leads me are, is no longer through suffering and such severity because I've, I've become so attuned or much more attuned to hearing God. And it's like, my, you know, the process then is no longer, well, do I really want to do this? And then my will's like, tension, 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 struggle, struggle. God, I, I think you might want me to do this, but I don't know if I feel like it. <laughs> I still have those thoughts sometimes. I'm like, something's in front of me to do, and I just know I'm supposed to do it. And then there's this thought like, do I want to do it? And I'm like, that's stupid. That's, I have been so out of that for so long. Like, that's not even a factor. Do I want to do it? Do I want to do what God wants? Absolutely. Like, there becomes this freedom <clears throat> in the process as we become more enslaved to God's will that we are more free just to do things out of God's will. And God does not want to oppress us with his will. He wants to free us in his will so that in our will, as we will what God wants in concert with God, we just kind of naturally have developed this rhythm in life. And we're free to do what God wants. Because what we want is what God wants. <laughs> um, there's a scripture, I, I think it's Proverbs. I wish I could remember the reference. Um, Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. I think that's so cool. And so it's like, oh, if I, if I worship God, he'll let me do whatever I want. And it's like, no, when your delight is in God... He will give you what you desire. When you desire God, he'll give you what you desire. <laughs> right? What you desire is God. And God's like, yeah, I'll give you that every day. Every day, every moment. All day long, I will give you myself. When you want me, I'll give you me. When you want things independent of me, I'm not going to give those to you because that's destructive. It'll kill you. Cool, huh? Let's jump to Romans chapter 8. Because this is what Romans chapter 8 talks about, man. All over the place. Listen. Listen. 
Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation at all for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Woo, baby, freedom. What's freedom? Being set free from the law of sin and death. What is sin? Separation from God. Our will independent of God is sin. The sin is separation. The sins that result from that one sin are infinity anything it's so it's so particular but when you're when you're independent of god you'll do so many things that are destructive because you have no idea you're enslaved and that leads to death but it says for the law of the spirit of life in christ jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death what's the law of the spirit of life in christ jesus the spirit capital s the holy spirit is the spirit of life like literally spirit is greek phenuma and hebrew raul um uh, is it Ruach? It's ra Rau. R-U-A-H. A Ruach. Ruach, sorry. I'm not, not that fresh on my Hebrew pronunciations, but it literally means breath. Wind or breath. Like life force. Like God breathed the breath of life into Adam. That's phenuma or pneuma, Greek. Spirit. That's the word. The spirit of life. Like literally gives us life, but it also brings us to life. And when the spirit is with us, guiding us, right? Like Jesus said, the paraclete, the helper leading us into truth, which is a person, Jesus. So you have the spirit of truth and Jesus, who is the truth. And that's life. It's relationship. Verse 3, For what the law could not do, weak as it was, through the flesh, God did, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. The law was weak through the flesh. What? The flesh is my own will. In fact, Later in Romans, it says the mindset on the flesh is death, meaning the rational center set on my own will. The rational center is I can figure it out and I can fix it, and the will is I don't need anybody else. I don't need God. Independence. It's The flesh is weak because our will, independent from God, cannot do anything to bring us back to God. So it says, weak as it was through the flesh, what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. God just did it for us. We couldn't do it. But God did it for us, right? So again, God has to set us free. We can't do it. And he did it through Jesus, verse 4, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Do not walk. Walk is like how you live your life every day, moment to moment. We walk, we live our life moment to moment according to the Spirit, not the flesh. The flesh is what do I want? What do I think? What feels good to me? What's good for me in this moment? What do I want? And that person's in my way and I don't like this and I don't like that and I don't like that color and I don't like your face and I don't like that smirk on, you know, and my will, my will. I am walking according to my will and that's death. But we walk according to the Spirit, it says, verse 5, For those who are in accordance with the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. I'm always thinking about what I want. But those who are in accordance with the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Like, man, the way that you think, the way that you move through the world, don't just think rational center. The way that you move through the world is, God, what do you want? God, what do you think? God, what do you, how do you see this? And God's like, man, I, you, I see so much. I see everything. Like, why would you guide yourself? Why would you not walk by the Spirit? Well, we're trapped. We don't understand even what it means. It says, verse 6, For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. Remember Bates, or William Butler Yeats talked about, you know, peace, this way of peace, going to the lake, 
to the lake of Innisfree and his peace. It says, the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. What is peace? Shalom. What is shalom? Things as they ought to be. Do you want to live your life as it ought to be? Then you need to be subservient to God and then you'll be free. Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not subject itself to the law of God for it is not even able to do so. <coughs> mindset on the flesh. The rational center, which is, I can figure it out and I can fix it. And the flesh is, I am in, I'm going to walk independent from God. I can do it myself. It's hostile towards God. It doesn't subject itself to God and it doesn't know how to. It's not able to do so. You cannot bring yourself back to God and you will not naturally choose to subject yourself to God nor do you even understand how to do so. <clears throat> Verse 9, However, you are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. <sighs> You're not in the flesh. What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be saved? What does it mean to be alive? What does it mean to be free? Not in the flesh, but in the spirit. Because the spirit of God dwells in you. There is this, like, think about it, dwelling. Our spirits dwell in our bodies. The Holy Spirit needs to come and dwell with us in our bodies, through our spirit. Spirit to spirit. Right? We have the spirit. But does the spirit have us, and have we surrendered to the spirit? Right? Verse 12, So then, brothers and sisters, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you are going to die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons and daughters of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by which we cry out, Abba, Father! And the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Man, do you hear this? It's all about relationship. What does it mean to be free? What is the freedom we have in Christ? It's freedom from the flesh. It's freedom to be in relationship with God. He talks about fear. You have not received a spirit of slavery again leading to fear. Slavery, fear. Apart from God, we're enslaved to fear. Remember, it's it's in John. I think it's First John, there is no fear in love, for perfect love casts out all fear. Well, God is perfect love, right? When we are independent of God, we are enslaved to fear. Fear is, I'm trying to master my own life and control my own life and bring, out, bring about what is good for me, but I don't know if I can. It's a big world out here, people. Are you really able to master the whole world and bend the whole world to produce what is good for yourself? Hmm. That's a fearful paradigm. Oh my gosh, there's so many things going on out of my control and I'm in charge and I've got to make this thing work for myself and six billion people on the planet, nation against nation and my boss and my coworkers and I want my good and I want to make lots of money and I want everything, but there's all these other people and we're all in contention and... Oh, but when you come to God, what's really cool is God has something that is just for you. Only for you. And so, like, again, freedom within limitation. Like, God, is, God isn't this zero-sum game. And he's like, well, I have so much good, and I've got to divide it among everybody. And, you know, first come, first serve. Early bird gets the worm. And you snooze, you lose. And there's only so much left. No. God is an infinite source of all good things. God has a good just for you, designed just for you, set out just for you. 
the path you walk with God into the Spirit, through the Spirit, into life, into freedom, is the thing that has made just for you. And, and it is no, there's no short-term limited supply. Nobody else is going to get it cut in front of you. There's no competition. Isn't that cool? So there's no fear. Will you get it? Well, God will give it to you. God will do it all. You just have to start to let him. You got to surrender to God in order to be freed up in the limitation of the very specific purpose and plan and blessings God has for you. Isn't that cool? Looking ahead in Romans chapter 8. It's pretty cool, you know. It says, Paul, uh, Paul's writing, he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So he's like, man, yeah, he's like, we're suffering. Right? Because we're sons and daughters and we're being refined, disciplined, in order to be made, to be brought back under God's will. He says, for the, for the eagerly awaiting creation waits for the revealing of the sons and daughters of God. Like even the whole world is waiting for this moment when like everything will be brought into the kingdom perfectly. It says, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will also be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Which is, this is kind of interesting, guys. When we're free from our flesh and reunited with God, then we'll no longer be doing things that also hurt the earth. Cool, huh? We're not going to be hurting other people. Why is the world so messed up? Because we're independent of God. But when we're back under God and free within the limitations of God's will over ours, then everything works right and the whole creation itself is also going to be freed up because we'll no longer be doing what is destructive for ourselves, others, and the earth. Wow. Isn't that cool? He says talks about the creation groaning like like in the pains of childbirth waiting for this renewal and verse 23 and not only that but we also ourselves have the first fruits or having the first fruits of the spirit even we ourselves groan within ourselves waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons and daughters the redemption of our body like we groan we all groan we're yearning for this freedom adoption this is cool verse 26 romans now, in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. <laughs> Baby! Cool. Verse 26. There's a cool thing that this passage lays out. The Spirit helps our weakness. Like, we can't do it. We're powerless. The Spirit comes in and helps us. We don't even know what to pray. Gosh, I don't even know what to ask God for. I'm so enslaved. It says, but the Spirit intercedes with groanings too deep for words beyond the rational. There's a groaning, there's a felt sense of need and freedom. It says, he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is. It's interesting. I'm not sure if that's the Father or the Son there. Because he intercedes. Okay, that would be Jesus. He intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Like even Jesus himself and, you know, had to surrender to God's will. And then, so there's this interplay between Jesus, the Spirit, and the Father here. It's pretty cool. The Spirit's in us. The Spirit's communicating to Jesus, who is then before God. And God, Jesus wants God's will. And the Spirit 
manifest God's will to us so that we can be subservient to God's will. And there's this interchange in the Trinity, between the Trinity and us. Again, it's relationship. Verse 28, And we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of, to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. For those he whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son so that He would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Ooh, predestination. Verse 30, And these whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. Was he, 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 he. God did all these things. God predetermined before time immemorial to save us. God laid out a plan. And a plan not just for the whole entire world, but for each one of us individually. And all we need to do is step into it. So it's like predestination. Nothing you can do. No. Like, God sets before us a path, and we have to choose to walk into it, but we can't. The Spirit has to help us. Yes. But what is God doing in all this? He's not enslaving us to himself. He's setting us free from slavery because we're enslaved when we're independent. And so God draws us to himself, but we have to also acquiesce. It's like we just have to let God do what God wants. We have to unlearn this mindset on the flesh kind of way of living life. That's real freedom. I'm getting short on time. Let's go to um, a polymath. I think this is interesting. I'll end with this idea. Uh, There was this idea developed during the Renaissance, which is the last 300 years. It's called the Renaissance man. came out of Renaissance humanism. Um, But a polymath, you know, we think, oh, some guy who does lots of different kinds of math. No. Uh, The Latin... It means universal human is what the word means. Poly means multi. It's like the idea of a person and a Renaissance man or a polymath is someone who's like learned in lots of different subjects and they're just like this really, really balanced person because they have a lot of different interests and they've developed themselves along a lot of different lines of study, right? And so the reason I got up on this is because Rabindranath Tagore was considered a polymath. He was... He was a poet, writer, playwright, composer, philosopher, social reformer, and painter. He was a Bengali artist and writer, and he he won the Nobel Prize in Literature in 1913. He was the first non-European to win it. Pretty cool. But he was a polymath, and a polymath is a Renaissance person. And a Renaissance person is someone who's gifted intellectually, artistically, socially, physically, and spiritually. It's a well-rounded person. I thought that was kind of cool because it's um, we tend to think of, of humanism as anti-God, right? It's just about the idea that a human humans are limitless in their capacity for development. <laughs> but not when we're enslaved apart from God. So that was the thing I really thought about was like a renaissance, renaissance humanism is this idea that, hey, we can be, we, we have this, this, infinite possibility to do so much and of course what did i say though like the idea could be that oh god enslaves us and god just god doesn't want us to be free that was the lie and that is kind of modern humanism is like there is no god anyway agnosticism or atheism but like you'll be the best if you can just be free of god and free of religion but where has that gotten us and that's like we've been on that bent for a long long time since the beginning really (laughs) But like, we're not limitless, we're not free when we're limitless. We're actually free when we're limited to one 
specific course. And if you think about it, like if you have a billion different directions you could go, what's the phrase? Over analysis leads to paralysis. Like, oh my gosh, if you had a million choices and God was like, hey, you could go any way, any way of a million and you're like, God, I'm overwhelmed. Just show, just show me what's the best one. And God's like, oh yeah, that's actually how it works. I'm going to give you the freedom of a limited path that you can walk and it's a purpose I've created just for you. But man, there's, so, there's such an expansive life within this limitation of this one path and this one purpose and these, these gifts and these abilities. And like, so it's like crazy because as we, we become enslaved to God, we become free. When we get our will tethered back to God, then our will is free. Our will is not free independent of God. It's free in God. As we are more and more enslaved to God, we are more and more free from the enslavement that is only apart from God. And that's true freedom. That's true freedom in God. Jesus, don't take the wheel. Like, you know, there's this interesting thing that starts to happen as you become free in in God, within the limitations of the specific path God has set out for you. The more free you become, the more you realize the fight that you're in and the forces that are against you and that are trying to keep you enslaved. And that's what we're going to talk about in the next and final episode of this series called Jesus Don't Take the Wheel. As we discuss, like, why God does not bring us back to dependence on Him to enslave us, but to free us. And as we become free... The reality of the forces in the world that are enslaving the world and the fight we have to then enter in order to help others find the same freedom we have found in Christ. Amen. Hey guys, thanks for listening. This has been a Construction Monk podcast. I'm your host, Jay Randall Ory. You can catch more content at www.moderncontemplative.com where you'll also see my YouTube channel and a new video series I'm doing called Let's Talk Church. And I am at some point going to release some books, but I'm taking my time. Hey, love you guys. Be well, be at peace, and be free.